From the Preservation Maryland studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, but do you recall Rankin Bass, the company behind some of America's most beloved stop-action holiday films? Today's guest, Rick Goldschmidt, does. He's a historian of Rankin Bass Productions, the creative team that created Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, The Year Without a Christmas, and dozens upon dozens more. Preserving the legacy of those films and the actual props has been a lifelong passion for Rick. And on this week's PreserveCast, we'll head back to the 1960s to talk TV preservation and memory with an authority on the subject. Hey, it's Nick here. And a quick reminder before we get started, as we race towards the end of the year, I want to ask you to please consider making a year-end contribution in support of PreserveCast. This podcast is powered by Preservation Maryland, a nonprofit organization. And if you've enjoyed a podcast or two or a dozen this year, then I hope you'll consider making a donation at PreserveCast.org. Also, we greatly appreciate the support of the 1772 Foundation, which has sponsored our episodes this year. Now, let's head to the North Pole to talk preservation. Rick Goldschmidt is the official historian and biographer of Rankin Bass Productions and has written six books on the subject over the past 30 years that are available at miserbros.com. He holds a degree in art illustration and has designed and worked on many of the Rankin Bass collectible releases. He recently appeared in the premiere of MeTV's Collector's Call and is also the lead singer-guitarist of The Starving Artist and is recorded with The Gin Blossoms. He appears across the country at many Hollywood and collector shows and has upcoming articles in the holiday issues of Retrofan and Remind magazines. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast, and today we are very excited to be joined by Rick Goldschmidt, who is the official historian and biographer of Rankin Bass Productions. So before we get started, Rick, we love to learn more about our guests um, and know a little bit about what sort of put you on this path to being a historian, in your case, of Rankin Bass Productions. So where'd you grow up, and how did this all start? And I guess part of that question must be, what's your earliest memory of watching a Rankin Bass film? Well, my earliest memory would be uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, um, because I know when I saw Santa flying at the end, um, wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. I thought that was Santa Claus. So it must have been a very uh, young age that uh, that I saw that. And I never thought I would be doing anything uh, with Rankin Bass Productions as far as being the historian and biographer. I, I went to Columbia College in Chicago uh, for an art degree, an illustration. And um, I started working in illustration out of college, and um, two of my main influences were Jack Davis and Paul Coker Jr., right out of the pages of Mad Magazine. So I decided to um, contact them and send them my work, and we developed a friendship. And then I realized that Jack Davis designed mad monster party and i knew paul coker did frosty the snowman and it just kind of piqued my curiosity as to what what was arthur rankin and jules bass doing um i never read anything about him i never saw anything on television about him nothing 
So um, Paul Coker gave me Arthur Rankin's phone number in Bermuda, and I just called him up and said, there should be a book. And he said, send me two chapters. So I did. He liked them. And then he sent me a little micro cassette in the mail with his life story on it. And I just went from there and started scrounging things up and putting together my first book. And it's just become kind of a, you know, a project that I've been working on all my life now. I mean, it's just, it's such a fascinating piece of Americana and, uh, you know, we deal a lot here on PreserveCast in, in preservation, um, and I want to talk about that, and we're going to get to that and sort of talking about the preservation of these films and the objects from them, and, and it's it's so fascinating how these sort of stories come together and how a sort of a chance encounter and end up you get end up uh, getting to interview really sort of a cultural icon in terms of the 20th century here in the United States. So, but for people who are memories a little foggy or maybe someone listening from overseas who hasn't seen this before, although I, I imagine many people have seen these, let's set the table here. So who, what was Rankin Bass? How many films did they produce? What's the impact of their productions? And then maybe we can talk about why people love them so much, but, but who was Rankin Bass? What did they produce and, and, and how, how big of an impact did they make? Well, Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass produced about 30 television specials, mostly holiday specials, Christmas-related, you know, Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and the list goes on and on. But they also, it's kind of a strange company in that they also made feature films like Mad Monster Party and King Kong Escapes and uh, The Last Unicorn. And then they made television series. Now, I definitely watched the Osmonds and the Jackson 5 show as a, you know, a small kid. I was like six or seven. Um, so those had an impact on me, too. And um, they went on to do Thundercats and Silverhawks, which that was after my time watching Saturday morning cartoons. So their their impact on on the culture is great because they did so many different things. Um, they're known for The Hobbit, which won a Peabody um, and inspired, in some ways, the, the feature films. And um, really, their stop-motion process, Animagic, is really what they're known for um, because they took a style of animation, this stop motion form where you move it one frame at a time, but they did something unique with it. They gave the characters personality by hiring the right voice actors. And they never hired just for marquee value like they do today. Um, they got people that either their voices were very recognizable or distinct, or they were really great voice actors like Paul Fries and uh, June Foray. So they gave personality to an art form that before Rankin-Bass was more or less just um, a puppet style. It, the characters never really had 
personality until I would say Rudolph. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the reasons why Rudolph has been on television for over 55 years now. Um, it just has, uh, it has everything going for it, but it has a lot of personality in the characters of Hermie the Elf and Yukon Cornelius and the Bumble and so forth. So their impact was great on pop culture and in the film media. And um, by being the historian, I recognize that because I hear from all different ages and different people, whether a lot of people work in the business now in entertainment and were inspired by them. And that's the reason they got into it. Or it's just, you know, your average family, um, the children still love it. Uh, the grandparents remember it and the middle aged people in particular love it. So it's, it really reaches a, a broad audience. And I'm curious, um, since it's so beloved and it is and it and it just it resonates um across i guess all generations and in different aspects of society but but what happened to rankin bass why did it stop and when why did, do you have any sense for why why we don't see anything like it today i mean if it's so popular how come or is it just you can't recreate the magic well um <laughs> i do talk about the magic because they called their stop motion animagic and i think they chose the right word and the writer romeo muller who arthur rankin hired for return to oz and then rudolph and many of their subsequent specials he wrote in such a way that it brought in heart and warmth and he wrote satisfying stories where the villains get reformed and the characters are always underdogs. And for some reason, modern Hollywood doesn't understand that process at all. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why it changed so drastically. And everything is so throwaway, disposable now that all they talk about is the box office and they never talk about the quality of the actual films or TV specials or so forth. But Rankin Bass, I think mostly because Arthur Rankin, the new talent, he started out as an art director at ABC TV in the 50s. And he just recognized talent um, and put together the most talented people he could find. And that's the thing. Back then, we're talking about the, the early 1960s when they started doing the new adventures of Pinocchio and Tales of the Wizard of Oz. When Arthur Rankin would hire someone, he wasn't hiring people right out of college, which they do today. He was hiring people that worked in the business for 10, 20, 30 years. And his artists were people like Al Hirschfeld and Jack Davis and Paul Coker and Tony Peters. Everyone had experience 
And Romeo Muller was writing for people like Jack Benny, <laughs> you know, in the in the early days of radio. So the the talent was there and and that really worked in their favor because the shows have lasted now over fifty-five years and in the in the entertainment business that isn't easy to do. But you would think there were some smart people out there that could recognize what they did and try to replicate it. But so far I haven't seen, seen it. Pixar came close before they were bought out by Disney. Um, they were more about the creative people that they had on their staff and now all those people are gone. So it's a shame that, you know, it can't be replicated. Well, I, I think that that's a, I mean, it's a good point. And I suppose also it, it really sort of underscores the, the point about value being a, 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 a permanence and, and kind of buys you a permanence, um, not just the, the, the initial box office or how much you can make in the first you know, three months, but you know, the value that they put into it. Now, you've published extensively on, on Rankin Bass. Um, so what have your publications touched on for people listening who might want to pick one up or, you know, and we're going to give your, and you can do that here, give, give your link where people can buy this stuff. But, um, where, where, what have your publications touched on and do you have anything that you're working on right now? Well, my books are, are different than a lot of books. I think in that my degrees in illustration. So I made all six books very visual. And I did it in such a way that it has lots of photos and lots of artwork and, and lots of visuals. Um, there's no page that has blank space on it. Uh, but at the same time, I put all the history in there because I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by where the puppets are, um, you know, uh, who worked on what. Um, you know, what else did they work on? That kind of thing is kind of very interesting to me. And I put all that in all of my books. And um, another thing that we always did, and, and I'm saying um, my co-author, Wes Garlitz, who passed away this, this past April, um, when we did the books, we also gave updates on things. So my Frosty book, has photos of a lot of the puppets from other shows that we discovered in Japan or other places. Um, so it kind of gives more of an update on what I started in my first book. Um, so it's not entirely about Santa Claus is coming to town or Frosty. It has a little bit of everything in, in every book. And we sell them at miserbros.com. And I actually do the shipping, so I sign and draw in the books, too. Um, and right now, I'm not, I'm not working on another book, but um, I am working on a lot of projects. We're trying to get a Rankin-Bass documentary going, a, a proper one. Um, I've written a lot of magazine articles that are coming out in uh, Remind Magazine and Retro Fan Magazine. And I was just interviewed for Entertainment Weekly for their um, holiday issue. 
Um, so there's a lot going on. And also I help with the catalog for profiles in history for the sale of the actual Rudolph and Santa puppet, which the news broke yesterday and I'm getting all kinds of messages and emails about that. And people are like, did you see this? <laughs> and I, I worked on the catalog. Um, I actually toured with Rudolph and Santa for about three years when Time and Space Toys, Kevin Price owned the puppets and he, he liked to share them with the fans. So we took them to Brookfield Zoo and Borders and Wizard World and AF Books and a whole bunch of different places, uh, Mid-Ohio Con. Um, so that was a lot of fun because the puppets are kind of like the actual star of the show. So people love to see them and take pictures with them. And it's, it's really a fun, fun way to share it with, with all the Rankin Bass fans. Well, that, that might be a good place for us to make a segue there then, and, and maybe talk a little bit, you know, preservation in some ways. Um, so what is the status? And you, you kind of um, gave us a little precursor there, but what is the status, I suppose, maybe first of the original films themselves? Because, you know, I know film itself gets lost or copied over and things like that. And then I, I suppose the, the props from the movies and then kind of as a follow on to that, and I think we might know the answer, but is there an archive or a museum that is is collecting and protecting this important work? So what does that physical preservation look like for this this important cultural property? Well. Um... There's no museum uh, as of yet, but but I have pretty much a museum in my home, which was featured on uh, Collector's Call um, on MeTV, the premiere episode. I was the, the second part of the premiere and the first episode shot. But I have all the uh, documents and photos, uh, a lot of the artwork and and artifacts from Rankin Bass. So uh, one day a museum could be open, but <laughs> I was just talking to a friend uh, yesterday about um, the Roy Rogers Museum. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, Roy Rogers saved everything. You know, Trigger was stuffed and all kinds of great things, and, and they couldn't keep the museum open. Because, you know, there's a certain shelf life to everything. Although Rankin Bass <laughs> has gone on for a long, long time, and it will go on for a long, long time. Um, most of the puppets remained in Japan because that's where the filming was done. And either the Japanese animators hung on to them or um, somehow they got into the, the populace in Japan. Uh, very few came back to the States. Arthur Rankin had them in his office and also at the Rockefeller uh, Plaza, the NBC. Um, they had the display of the Rudolph figures where the two that I was just talking about were part of that display. For just a few years, they had them on display uh, for people who toured NBC to come in and see him. Um, and then Arthur had some in his office that they actually got rid of. 
Um, I think they went into dumpsters because a couple that I owned came from that, um, from the first Christmas. And I've been out on, uh, at different appearances with the puppets. We had uh, Red Skelton's puppet and um, Angela Lansbury's at Chiller Theater in New Jersey. And I've had Smokey the Bear out at the Shag Store and uh, Octavia from the first Christmas. So um, I've done a lot to preserve the history, not just through the books, but through appearances. And, and um, I've lent my collection to museums like uh, the Louisville Slugger Bat Museum had it for uh, Christmas. Um, this year I have a, an exhibit at the Orland Park Library, which is sort of in my neighborhood. And I've even had stuff in Germany um, at a Pinocchio uh, exhibit because uh, Rankin Bass did the New Adventures of Pinocchio. That was their first stop motion series. And I have a bunch of collectibles and artifacts from that. So maybe this is a good place to ask this question. You know, obviously you've dedicated yourself to preserving this and, you know, physically own things that, you know, maybe some days you say we'll end up in a museum. And, and I think it's interesting that you brought up um, Roy Rogers and sort of, you know, everything has a, has a shelf life. Everything has sort of a period of time, but you know, Rankin Bass for 55, 60 years has been really sort of a cultural touchstone. Do you still think we'll be seeing them aired in another 50 years? I mean, this is you putting on your prognosticator hat here, but, um, and, and, and why is that? Are, are they, are they timeless in a sense? I believe so. Um, yes, we'll see it for a long, long time. Um, I did some, uh, social media tweeting for, TCM a few months ago, they showed uh, three of the Rankin Bass movies. And last year, they started showing not only Rudolph and Frosty on CBS, but they show it on Freeform now, too. And of course, you have streaming, um, you have network television, streaming, YouTube, everything. So the Rankin-Bass stuff is still popular um, with, all, like I said, all generations because the parents and the grandparents show it to their kids, and usually the kids find something that they like, uh, whether it be out of Rudolph or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think it has a longer shelf life than some of the things that I still love. Um, you know, there's, I mentioned Rudolph and Santa are being auctioned, uh, through profiles in history. And they sent me another catalog that just goes on and on with all kinds of great artifacts like Herman Munster's costume and, uh, the flying nuns costume and, uh, Ginger from Gilligan's Island's dress and, and then there's like stuff from Gone with the Wind and Gary Cooper's uh, Yankee uniform from Pride and the Yankees. But some of these things they have to sell now because in 10, 20 years, people aren't going to know what it is. 
Um, but I don't think that's true with, with Rankin Bass. It's, it's just, it's too family oriented that the, the new generation still gets something out of it. Yeah. It's a, it, it is, it is something that about it, that's timeless. Um, and it's, it's interesting and, and so fascinating that you've put, um, together these books. Again, if people want to learn more about you or they want to get your books or they, they want to, uh, find out more about, um, the work that you've done in your collection and all that kind of stuff, where can they find you? Um, and where can they get your books? Well, they can get the books at miserbros.com. I have an Etsy store now, too, that's under miserbros, M-I-S-E-R-B-R-O-S. Um, <laughs> like the Heat Miser and Snow Miser, they're most popular characters. And I also do a daily blog at Enchanted World of Rankin Bass dot blogspot.com and i find that um i get more hits there than anywhere because people like what i share so they come back every day so i put stuff up every day um to keep them coming back so um especially during the holidays i see a peak in uh, in hits on my blog well we will definitely put a link to that in the show notes and on preservecast.org. And before we go, um, question we ask of anybody who comes on PreserveCast, what is your favorite historic place or site? Um, as far as like a museum goes? Well, it could be anything. It could be any anything, any historic place or site that you, you think is probably your favorite when it comes down to it. Well, um, <laughs> when Arthur Rankin passed away, his widow had myself and my fiance come to Bermuda because Arthur spent half his time in Bermuda and half his time in New York. And um, Bermuda was probably the most beautiful place on earth. In fact, Arthur filmed the Bermuda Depths and a few of his other television movies in Bermuda. And I helped set up a museum there um, at Masterworks. There's an exhibit called Arthur's Galaxy, and they put in some of the puppets that Arthur hung on to and my books and photos and things like that. So I'd probably have to say Bermuda was probably my favorite, most enjoyable um place for that reason well it's a good answer and um i guess a fitting way to end the conversation back with uh rankin and bass and um really appreciated having you on this is a perfect conversation to have this time of the year and um we will make sure we have a link to your page so people can get those daily updates and go back and kind of get the story behind the story after they watch uh, this year's uh, rendition of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and uh, The Year Without a Christmas and all those other good ones um, that we remember so so well. Um, so thanks so much for joining us today, Rick. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's show, notes, and all previous episodes, visit preservecast.org. You can also find us online at Facebook and Twitter at PreserveCast. 
This program was supported by the Historic Preservation Education Foundation. PreserveCast is produced by Preservation Maryland in Baltimore City. Thanks again for your support and remember to keep preserving.